Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Hour two of the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Of course, Steve's always in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai, in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. If you miss any of the live shows, you can always subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast. It is available on both iTunes and Google Play. And also, we have the podcast page at stevejonesshow.com with the latest month's worth of shows and then on stevejonesshow.com go to podcast archive and you'll see the previous two months worth of shows so we go back good three plus months so if you happen to miss anything along the way or if you want to replay something uh, that sounded great live you want to uh, check it out again you're more than welcome to do so including those uh, great interviews that steve had uh, within the past few months with spider caldwell at penn state uh, got lots of uh, uh, terrific reaction to that so um, and if you happen to listen to our podcast uh, with the apple podcast app or itunes that uh, don't hesitate to uh, leave us a review that always helps yeah um and, you know, I mean, the ones that are really bad, we delete. <laughs> um, Only when you tell me to. <laughs> what they say, yeah. <laughs> There's certain things you have to assume. It doesn't take a rocket science. You know, I just want to tell you, the host stinks. <laughs> okay. Okay. Delete. Oh, they get nothing but five-star reviews. That's right. <laughs> All right. I'm very pleased to bring in the legendary voice, good friend, the great one himself, Paul Keels. Paul, welcome. Great to hear you, my friend. What a pleasure it is to talk to the Warner Fusell Award winner for the New York Penn League. <laughs> oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> appreciate that. You sent a very nice text after, which I appreciated very much. So. <laughs> I was very happy for you for that. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Well... I think everybody's had this date circled for a little while. Um, leading up to it, after the Oklahoma game, what did you see in Ohio State in terms of just pure approach that told you they were heading in the right direction? I think, Steve, what it was was one of those things that coaches hope to have happen without having a defeat, and it was kind of the bring-you-back-to-earth mode, uh, not as good as you think you are, all of the outside noise doesn't really matter. All of this talk about, you know, favorite to get into the 14 playoff, none of that matters. That this was a team that still had a lot they had to do. And and since then, and, you know, we can all talk about all of the numbers of what Ohio State has done in the last five games, et cetera, et cetera, they knew 
that between then and now they needed to get some momentum, they needed to get some rhythm, they needed to get some confidence and improve on some things, knowing that this was a game. Now, you know, now Urban Meyer talked about, you know, Rutgers had Washington tight in the fourth quarter, you know, Maryland, you know, with two impressive road wins at Texas and at Minnesota, um, all of these things. But everybody kind of knew, without publicly saying it, they needed to take care of business in those five games to be ready for this game. JT Barrett, uh, you've watched, you've chronicled every snap of his career, and he's been a three-time captain. With Kevin Wilson as his current coordinator, where is he a better quarterback now? I, I think so, Steve, but I think also it, you kind of have to look at the crowd around him. He's maybe had better talent around him when he had Devin Smith and Evan Spencer and Ezekiel Elliott and Jeff Hireman at tight end and, and some of the other offensive linemen they've had. But I think what he has done is helped the group around him now get better. Because what was the big failing for Ohio State last year struggled was the fact that their receiving group uh, it didn't make the plays they needed to. Now, whether that was not getting enough protection, uh, JT missing throws, you, you can dissect all of that. But I think now what's happened is this receiving group has grown up. They have developed a two-headed uh, running back threat with J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. The offensive line seemingly has gotten some traction. And, and I think that also the combination of J.T. Barrett, Kevin Wilson, and let's not leave out Ryan Day, the new quarterback's coach, mm-hmm. right. I think that is all taking roots right now. You mentioned Dobbins in that answer. You've seen, obviously, a lot of great running backs. What are the signs that you see in him that he can be the next great one in Ohio State? Well, I think you have to start by first acknowledging, remember, this is a kid that missed all but one play of his senior year in high school last year with right. an injury. Uh, came in in the spring, went through all the early stuff, but just immediately looked, and I don't know if this makes sense to you, but he looked like an experienced player. He didn't look like it was his first time out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to make an equal comparison, but similar to what Maurice Claret showed when he first showed up. And the thing that helped Dobbins was that Mike Weber was nursing a hamstring injury, and so Dobbins was able to get a lot of the work. Uh, they really didn't have to play Weber much before they felt that he was good from the hamstring. Antonio Williams, their third tailback, gave him some good minutes in their opener uh, against Indiana, so they didn't have to force Weber in there. He's got a great jump cut. He's got, uh, you know, it's just one of those you watching. And it's kind of hard to imagine, but he just makes it look easy out there when he runs the football. A guy that we, you know, that the average fan's not going to really watch, but that would be Billy Price. When when you have, and I'm sure Jim watches obviously a lot more of this because you're watching the ball, but his move to center, what has that done to really stabilize the offensive line? Well, and it's a repeat movie, too, because if you remember, Pat Elfline did the same yep. thing a couple of years ago. Yep. Billy is it's a tough guy out there. He's you know He came in as a defensive lineman. They moved him to offense, and he's just brought that same toughness, that same experience. I think you know he's done what Pat Elfline did, and they both kind of fed off of J.T. Barrett directly. Uh, but what Billy's been able to do is give them that, that consistency right in the middle. So it's allowed... Michael Jordan, now Demetrius Knox due to the injury that they had at right guard uh, to be able in the middle to, to really solidify. And then you're seeing Jamarco Jones and Isaiah Price have picked up their performances from a year ago. But Billy's just kind of been a standard bear. And, and from everything we hear, it's it's not just on the field. It's it's how they function as an offensive line, how they work out, how they do this. And, and he's one of those guys, I know he was named one of those mid-season All-Americans, um, but he's a guy that just has those intangible values that probably every team wishes they had on their offensive line. The defensive front, 
Uh, first of all, are they out of Bosa's? I just want to know. I'd just like to, before I continue with the question, are, are we out of Bosa's? As far as we know, although one of the, I forget who it was a few weeks ago, one of the defensive uh, offensive linemen said they were going to talk to uh, John Bosa, Nick's dad, and see if there was any chance they could have some more kids. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, believe, I believe that uh, James Franklin had the same, same conversation with Saquon Barkley's parents. Uh, <laughs> for, for down the road, when you and I are doing this 20 years from now. Uh, yeah. When you look at the defensive front, it was advertised going in they're going to be great. Uh, have they met the expectation, in your opinion, if not exceeded it? I think so, Steve. Now, what's hard to tell, you know, they've got 18 sacks. They've gone against some offenses that have gotten rid of the ball quickly. Um, yeah. So that, that has affected the sack numbers. But I don't think there's any question. So, so consider this. You get Tracy Sprinkle back, who lost, who got hurt in the first game of the year last year. You lose Draymond Jones for two games, and all they do is they take Jalen Holmes and move him from end to tackle. Right. Uh, you get Sam Hubbard. Uh, you get Davon Hamilton, Robert Landers, Tyquan Lewis. And then you start talking about the young guys that have come in, Jonathan Cooper and Jayshon Cornell, um, a couple of true freshmen, and Haskell Garrett and Chase Young. And now Michael Hill comes back. And Michael Hill's been back after missing the first six games. So what's happened in the last five weeks the guys that you're used to seeing, Steve, they've only had like 20-some snaps. So they've been able to get out of the game, stay fresh. These younger guys have been able to come in, uh, you know, kind of, you know, earn their bones a little bit. So now the, the Boses, the Hubbards, the Sprinkles, the Jones, the Lewises, they're in a position where as you go down the meat grinder of the schedule, they can log a whole lot of snaps if need be and, and, and physically be there. But, you know, the other thing they've done is they've done what you want a defensive line to do, and that is, you know, create disruption for the linebackers and the defensive backs. And and from your end, you will appreciate the fact that these these guys, when interviewed, when they talk about it, they can't sing the praises of Larry Johnson enough for right. what he's done for them on the field and off the field. Right, and I can I can hear it because I heard it for almost twenty years here. As, yeah, as, really. uh, the same same theme, and just with a different unit. Jerome Baker, you've had a lot of really good linebackers at Ohio State. What makes uh, a Baker the kind of guy that would be in a conversation? He's one of those kind of linebackers. <laughs> Excuse me, and you've seen him there. They just always seem to be around. <laughs> Excuse me, the big plays. He had the pick six last year at Oklahoma. He picks up a fumble a couple of weeks ago and runs it in. He's a guy that that benefited from Dante Booker being hurt last year, but also being around a guy like. Raquan McMillan with the way he played. And, right. and he's become a leader out there. He's He's got the size and the athleticism that you want to see of a linebacker. And he told the story earlier in the year that he spends a lot of his practice time around the defensive linemen. Yeah. You know, the group you just asked about, trying to pick up on some of the traits they have. But he just always seems to be around the big plays. Which then gets us to the secondary. Something I've really marveled at, Paul, the last few years is that the secondary play is at a high level. A lot of guys, Eli Apple and so forth, we're going to go to the NFL. Okay. So they have to be down the next year. No. They've got Malik Hooker. They've got Lattimore. They've got Conley. And they're just as good, if not better. Well, they've had to do the same thing all over again. So starting with Denzel Ward, how good are they back there? And is it a little different? Is it tough to keep replacing secondaries every year? I think, Steve, it is tough. And, and we saw from game one, that that group still needed to grow. Um, you know what it is that Indiana does. 
<laughs> excuse me for this cold and the kind of stress that Indiana puts on you and then a very next week of Baker Mayfield of Oklahoma but Denzel Ward and Damon Arnett are kind of the linchpins there at corner and then Damon Webb and Jordan Fuller have really been steady at safety but it's taken them a while what we don't know uh, saw a little bit of it against Nebraska two weeks ago certainly with what Trace McSorley can do that will test them like they haven't been since the Oklahoma game we don't know how much they've improved with their past defense because that was a concern after two weeks um, they developed a little bit of depth there with Jeff Okuda and Kendall Sheffield but can they be the kind of guys that can make the plays against the kind of receivers they're going to see Saturday we don't know they, they had their issues against both Indiana and Oklahoma and even though they beat Indiana you know what kind of receivers they throw out there. Right. Um, so it, it's a group that hasn't quite – what happened last year caught everybody off guard. Who knew Malik Hooker was going to play the way he did, you know, in Lattimore? Who knew guys that hadn't played a lot would do that? This group, it's taken a little more time, and, and we're all – the jury is still out on Finally, uh, Paul – just, just some thoughts. What do you what do you think of the, this game? I mean, you and I get to sit there in our respective booths and take the blank canvas and, and and paint it. But you know, what are the initial thoughts at least going into it? Well, mine is thank goodness it's a day game. Uh, <laughs> when, uh, when's the last time? Thank I, goodness for the World Series that yeah, it's a day game. I, I I am I am absolutely and completely agreeing with you. I mean, I, seriously, I'm really thrilled it's a day day game. So yeah, I'm, you and I are on the same page. I mean, I think, you know, we've seen the time now where, like what you had last weekend with a whiteout up there, you know, how the night games, at least, what, 10, 15 years ago, they were the exceptions. Uh, you know, Ohio State's had a few night games here uh, like two weeks ago at Nebraska, and, and before that at Rutgers, why in the devil were those night games? So I think it's great <laughs> that it'll be that kind of atmosphere for the fans of our generation who grew up with afternoon football. I, you know, I think that what you, you come to expect is it'll be a physical game. Yeah. Uh, the the other part, and not so much just because of what happened last year, but a little bit because of some of the kinks that Ohio State has shown, can they tighten things up on special teams? Uh, their kick coverage has been a little suspect, mostly because their kickoff deal has been. Uh, while Sean Nuremberger has been outstanding with his field goals and his PATs and a, and a redshirt freshman, Drew Crispin, for the most part, has been very good at punting the football, can they avoid what happened last year? Can they get something going in the return game to affect the field position? Obviously, with what Saquon has done as a kick returner, that's something that Penn State has that could be an advantage when it comes to the field position. So, you know, those hidden yards are kind of the thing that I'm anxious to watch for. And, and, and in a game like this, they're the names that we'll talk about so much, whether it's McSorley, Barkley, Barrett, and whoever. Who's going to be the guy that hasn't been talked about a lot, that right. jumps up and makes a play? Who'll be the, you know, the Grant Haley and Marcus Allen of last year, or the, you know, the defensive backs in past years here in Columbus that have made plays against Penn State. Who are going to be those kind of guys that maybe will catch us all by surprise? Yeah, you know, Von Bell, the, the way he set the tone here a couple of years ago. Somebody like mm -hmm. that. Right. Absolutely. I look forward to seeing you, my friend. I know you and I have to tape something before the game, which I'm looking forward to very much. I always do. And appreciate the time you gave us today in this 60-minute uh, style grilling that I promised you over 15 minutes. <laughs> it is my pleasure as always and uh, look forward to seeing you too Steve Paul Keels with us on the show we'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK alright I just got off the phone with Mr. Girardi during the commercial break 
I guess where he's going next week, and then I, we're going to get him on the show next week. We'll talk a little hoop, too. He's going to Del Mar. Breeders' Cup is next weekend. Uh, a little Breeders' Cup action. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. Very nice. Just, just to change it up a little bit. Well, I mean, we, we've done something with IndyCar, but we found out over five years that this that doesn't work. Uh, so we'll go with horse racing instead. <laughs> Only a small window to work with with, the, with that topic. Did I, did I tell you about the network talk show? I'm in Permani Brothers, getting ready for James Franklin to show up. He shows up, and now I'm I'm sitting there, and in the middle of the broadcast, I start to chuckle. He looks at me. He says, what? I said, nothing. <laughs> you know why? <laughs> Do you know why? You looked up and saw... Uh, on NBC Sports that they had the IndyCar schedule for the year. <laughs> I started laughing because because the suit had made such a big deal out of it during the course of the day. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're in there trying to work and he keeps interrupting you, and you're trying to work and he keeps interrupting you, and you were. You got that uh, cool sports bar scene, dozens and dozens of TVs, and the one within clear shot of you, lo and behold, what do you get? <laughs> Room. I get, I, get, I get the IndyCar schedule. So I tell Jay, I tell James at the commercial break. That I said I've got a friend who's an IndyCar fanatic. I said, and he's the only person that really likes it. He goes, he looks at me, he goes, IndyCar, IndyCar. <laughs> I swear I swear to stack of Bibles he loves it. <laughs> oh Wow. All right. All right, that's part one of our uh, preview of Ohio State. Uh, we got the writer from the Columbus Dispatch coming up in uh, the second half hour, Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch to join us. Ah, how about that? Also, you know, get a complete read. I mean, I, you know, I thought Paul was pretty honest and direct about their personnel and where they are and so forth. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, By the way, uh, Tate Martell's the guy impersonating uh, Trace McSorley in the Ohio State practice. That's nice. Look, you just try to give him a look. That's what you try to do. You try to give him a look. Um, trying to think. Benson. Yeah, who's our JT Barrett guy? You'll see him practice. Uh, last year it was Josh McPherson, so I would think Josh would be doing that again. Just the ability to, because they went. To be honest with you, they did it last night. <laughs> I didn't even really pay attention as to who was running it, because I mean, because they do situations. So you know, you want a throwing quarterback, and they were trying to throw the ball. So, <laughs> um, I'll give you a report on that later in the week when I because I because they did so much throwing last night. I think that was just mostly, okay, you know, Michael Schuster and guys like that, like they always do every week. Now, with a guy like Barrett that can run, all right, that 
that changes the game a little bit because you've got to get series in there where they're running zone reads and things like that. But part of it is also getting uh, you just understand how they block certain things. It used to be, for example, with Ohio State, especially when they had Zeke Elliott. Elliott was such a great blocker on the college level that they'd run the zone read, and he'd be the lead blocker going into the hole. Now if you look at them, they take Marcus Baugh, the tight end, they bring him across the formation, and then they throw him into the hole as the lead blocker. So you're looking for schemes and tendencies like that. And remember, there's going to be a distinct possibility they're going to throw in a wrinkle or two, too, because of the because of the bye week. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf. Saturday, Penn State football, the Nittany Lions at Ohio State. 3.30 the kickoff and 2 o'clock the airtime. And joining us from the Columbus Dispatch is Bill Rabinowitz, the beat writer for Ohio State football. Bill, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Happy to be on with you guys. All right. You? Uh, Ohio State, uh, they have played a schedule where at the moment there's one team with a winning record on it. How much do you know about them at this point? That's a great question. That's kind of the question. Is Obviously, the, the one marquee opponent they played, Oklahoma, they laid an egg, and uh, they rolled over five very inferior opponents. So have they improved since Oklahoma? Absolutely. Does it matter? Well, we'll find out on Saturday because this is by far the best test that Ohio State's had since, since Oklahoma. I felt last year, and you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, I felt that they got away at some point last season from the short to intermediate passing game and tried to stretch the field more with some plays. Uh, A, did they do that last year? And B, have they become very disciplined in that area this year? Well, at times they did. I wouldn't say that was really the overall problem. I just think that they kind of lacked consistency. They they struggled on the offensive line in big games, and, and that really hurt them. Uh, the receivers never really developed last year. That's different this year. They have, they have six guys that rotate in, and they really have been pretty, uh, pretty consistent. Uh, different guys that have different elements. Uh, Benjamin Victor is a guy who can really uh, – a really good uh, red zone threat. He's 6'4", very long arms. Uh, he stuffs the fed in there. Paris Campbell is a guy who can catch a, a, a crossing pattern and go because he's incredibly fast. Uh, so they have they have weapons now. It's just a matter of okay, uh, can they be consistent? Can they avoid the drops? And can the, can JC throw the ball on time and accurately? And can their line protect? That's you know basically age old football question. You've watched a lot of great tailbacks there over the years. Um, when you look at J.K. Dobbins, what are some of the qualities that you see in him that impress you? I think the thing that jumps out at me is the lateral quickness. He can kind of stop on a dime and just shift kind of a jump cut and avoid tacklers. Most of his yards come between the tackles. Both he and Mike Weber are really between the tackled runners. They can go outside, but they, they prefer to go north-south pretty quickly. Um, you know, for a freshman, uh, he makes very few mistakes. He's pretty good on, on blitz pickups, uh, can catch the ball. He seems very mature. You know, we don't really talk to these guys a lot as freshmen. He's been available a couple times, and, and seems like he's a, a pretty mature, level-headed kid. Um, 
you know, it's kind of funny because two years ago, Saquon Barkley kind of announced his presence against Ohio State. Uh, I remember Ezekiel Elliott tweeted after the game, and, you know, watch out for this kid. And, and uh, you know, Dobbins has a chance because obviously all the attention is going to be on Barkley and then the Heisman Trophy frontrunner, as they should be. And I'm sure that for guys like that, it's like, okay, you know, I'm in this game too. J.T. Barrett, uh, certainly one of the great leaders Ohio State's ever had. I can't think of somebody else that's been a three-time cap- captain someplace. No, like, nobody like, has like, Right, am- amazing. What has he done with his game this year that has made him, in your opinion, a better quarterback? Yeah, he's he's quicker with his reads. Last year he would wait till the guy was open and then throw it. Now he's anticipating more, letting receivers have a chance to make a play on the run, make a play, even if it's not a clear-cut, you know, uh, 100% kind of decision. It used to be that last year, and some year against Oklahoma this year, he would be a little tentative. So he was so careful about not throwing an interception that he would pass up very makeable throws because he just didn't want to risk it. So I think that that's different. I think he just has more confidence in the guys around him, particularly the receivers, but also the offensive line. Did it take a little while for everyone to get used to coordinator and and players, players coordinated? Was there a break-in period? Sure. And I, I asked Urban Meyer that last week. I said, is that kind of any kind of explanation or excuse for what happened in Oklahoma? He said, no. He said they should have been on the same page and clicking right from the start. But that's probably unrealistic. The fact is that they had to kind of – get in the heat of the moment in a tough game like Oklahoma and really figure out, okay, does this work? Does that work? What are we? What is our identity? And they didn't have it against Oklahoma, and they think they've found it now. And if you look at Kevin Wilson's history, starting with Miami of Ohio and then Northwestern and Oklahoma and then even in Indiana as the head coach, his offenses have been spectacular. And so anyone who would question whether Kevin Wilson could get this offense clicking would probably be pretty pretty foolish. Um, and they are very happy with their quarterback coach, Ryan Day, who came from the NFL and has adopted some of the Chip Kelly principles. And so it's a, it's a much more, I think, efficient offense than it was last year. I think that they have a better identity. Um, but, again, we, we, it's easy to say that when you're beating up on UNLV. Let's see what happens this week against, against Penn State. Going into the season, the perception was that front four, or maybe better to say eight, the way they rotate players in, there may not be a better one in the country. Has it played out that way as you've observed it? Yeah, it has. It really has. And, in fact, it's more than eight deep. You could probably go 12 deep with some of these guys. I mean, Chase Young, a true freshman, is going going to be a superstar, and he, he doesn't play that much right now. So, yeah, you figure that Nick Bosa is technically not a starter. I mean, it depends on the game, but he's he's kind of behind Tyquan Lewis and Sam Hubbard. Those are the two defensive ends. You have Jalen Holmes. You, I mean, it's, it, they really are loaded, and I think that's going to be a huge test for Penn State's offensive line, which you know, I think it's an improved line. I'm not sure it's an elite line. And, and when you have Ohio State that can come at them in waves and not have tired linemen in the fourth quarter, that's going to be a, a real challenge for Penn State. Then what have you thought about the back seven, linebackers and DBs? Yeah, they've been they've been good. I don't think they've been great, especially the, the DBs. I mean, the guys have come on. Jordan Fuller has come on. He's now a pretty solid safety. Damon Webb, they feel pretty good about. Um, Denzel Ward is a is a pretty close to a lockdown corner. The other cornerback spot has been pretty shaky. They hope that Kendall Sheffield, who was a junior college guy who originally signed with Alabama, would would become a star from day one, and, and he's had his issues. Damon Arnett is kind of a smaller guy. Uh, they really like a freshman, Jeffrey Akuda, but he's, again, a true freshman. 
Um, the linebackers have been good. They, they lost uh, Chris Worley. He sprained his foot against taking one of those cut blocks against Army. And the tough Portland has come in and played very well. And, and now that uh, Worley, they think, is back. And so they're pretty solid there. Jerome Baker is a, a real star. I mean, he's, he's really good. A guy, yeah, he's really good. And, and that's a guy that's going to be essential. You know, they may put him on Kasicki. They may. He'll they'll use him in a lot of ways to try to combat some of what Penn State does. What has uh, happened to the depth on the Ohio State defense now that the suspensions have been lifted to Michael Hill at defensive tackle and uh, Eric Smith at safety? Yeah, the rich get richer. Hill is a bigger factor because uh, he was a starter last year. Eric Smith was a guy who was really beaten out by Jordan Fuller. So, um, you know, they got him back. I'm not sure that they really are going to plan to use him as a significant role unless something happens with an injury or something. Um, obviously, it's good to, to add depth, but to be honest, they, they were fine without either one of those guys because uh, uh, the players they had in front of them. Obviously, special teams played a big role in last year's game uh, for Penn State in their win here, and we know that Urban Meyer is directly involved in doing a lot with the special teams. Yet they last in the Big Ten in punt return number right now, which is somewhat of a surprise. How do you view Ohio State's, Ohio State's special teams so far? In certain ways, it's very good. In certain ways, it's very bad. Paris Campbell is a very dangerous kickoff returner. Yeah, 30, 39 uh, it, yards of return. I mean, with the, with that speed, impressive. Right, right. Uh, you know, he's, he, you give him a theme and he's gone. So he's very dangerous. You know, they just haven't gotten their punt return game going. It's not that they've been bad at it necessarily. Just, you know, they just haven't been kind of those low kicks that, they go, okay, here comes KJ Hill and he's got 10 yards and then we'll see what happens. It's just... They just haven't had that kind of opportunity. Uh, Drew Christman has come in and replaced Cam Johnson, the Australian who was here for I think 20, 25 years, and and he's done very well. <laughs> and is also um, the fa- is also the fastest punter I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was unbelievable. People talk, that, people talk about that play last year. The thing that struck me when I watched was how did Cam Johnson almost catch her? <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but uh, Sean Nurnberger, who was hurt last year, is the field goal kicker. He's been pretty solid, unlike I know Penn State had issues with that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, Ohio State has not given up a single yard in putt return all year. Nobody has, has gained a yard in putt return. That's what the two Christian and the coverage teams have been. Wow. So uh, the, the issue with Ohio State and special teams has been primarily kickoff coverage because what they do is they, they line all their guys to the left side, and the intention is to kick it to the left side, kind of cough and corner it, right. and then pin them down in the you know 15-yard line or so. Well, the kickoffs have been inconsistent. They've tried a couple different kickers, a freshman, Blake Hobbiel, and also Nuremberger, and a couple times they've been kicked to the middle of the field, and that leaves them very vulnerable. Uh, the kid from Maryland returned one for a touchdown. So with Barkley, I have a feeling they may just say, let's just kick it at the end zone and be done with it. Let them have it 25. Well, of course, you're kicking off. That means you've scored. So, <laughs> yeah, it's their worst problem to have. If that's the worst problem your team has, you know, that's that's okay. What do you think of Penn State? I think they're very, very good. I think uh, to have as many weapons on offense. Obviously, it starts with Barkley, but you also have McSorley, you have Kasicki, you have Hamilton, uh, and they have other guys who are kind of underrated or at least under under uh, appreciated, uh, waiting in the wings. You know, I'm not sold entirely on the offensive line. I mean, you would know better than I would. I think defensively they've been outstanding, but again, they haven't played an offense anywhere close to Ohio State. I looked this up. That's right. I think uh, Northwestern was ranked 74th in total offense. That's the best offense that they've played this year. 
And Michigan, we know, has a very flawed offense, very shaky passing game. And you look at the other opponents Penn State has played, you go, okay, yeah, I think they're very good, they're very aggressive, they play well together, but they have not been tested the way that Ohio State's going to test them. It's, it's, it's funny, and I'm going to write this, is that for, for the number second and number sixth ranked teams in the country to meet in late October, there's still a mystery in a lot of ways because you just don't know how good either team is because of the competition they played. Uh, what does this game mean to the fan base there? We know Michigan is the be-all, end-all. Got it. Completely understand that. Has this game risen to any level there over the years, uh, other than the fact that both teams right now are really good? It has. I mean, they compete for recruits. They're obviously a joining state. So I, I think that they uh, – Penn State is a special team to Ohio State fans. There, there are three. It's, it's Michigan, it's Michigan State, and it's Penn State. Okay. And those are the three games in the East, three opponents in the East that Ohio State really considers their rivals. Uh, you know, a lot of people thought that after the, the sanctions that Penn State would be down for a long, long time. Obviously, that hasn't happened. That's a credit to their coaches and their players. And after what happened last year when, when Penn State you know, stunned them, I mean, Sam Hubbard said, uh, said last week that you know they just didn't really respect Penn State as a team that they thought could beat them. And so I think that they were very surprised. And at the time, honestly, Penn State wasn't a great team. I mean, they played very well that night, and that just that just <laughs> jump-started that program, really. Um, the, the Penn State was a different team from that moment on. But until that game, they, they looked like a team that, okay, they'll be tough at home because of the wideout, and Penn State's certainly a credible program. But I don't think Ohio State saw them as being on their level necessarily, Ohio State fans at least, and I think they certainly do now. I mean, when you're the number two team in the country coming in, this is a statement game. I mean, it's not just about the playoffs and, and all this. It's about, okay, who's really the best program in the Big Ten? Absolute pleasure, Bill. Look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Look forward to it. Thank you. And Bill Rabinovitz joining us on the show from the Columbus Dispatch. We'll come back and wrap up today's broadcast extravaganza in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. If you want to have a fun day, you have to drive a Hyundai. Sunbury Motors Hyundai is putting other import brands on high alert with their drastic new Hyundai reductions. While other dealers have 2017 accents for $17,140, Sunbury Motors Hyundai has accents starting at $12,890. Compare a Toyota Camry with a 2017 Sonata for $18,965. And you decide which is the better value. All new Hyundais come with America's best warranty, a 10-year, 100 thousand mile powertrain warranty. Sunbury Motors has 13 Hyundai Tucson starting at 23143. Save up to 4949 on a 2017 Hyundai Santa Fe Sports. Santa Fe Sports start at 25766. If you want to have a fun day, you have to drive a Hyundai. Brand new Elantras start at 16680. With these prices, Sunbury Motors Hyundai is putting other import brands on high alert. SMC Hyundai in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza Sunbury. Accent Sedan and Santa Fe models with SMC motor vehicles. All right, Penn State, Ohio State, Saturday, Ohio Stadium, Columbus, 3.30, the kickoff, 2 o'clock, the airtime here on News Radio 1070 WKOK and the Penn State Sports Network. Martavis Bryant relegated to the scout team today, which means in all likelihood he is not playing on Sunday against Detroit Sunday night. And this is over his social media posts. Ron Cook, uh, you pointed out to me, Ron Cook wrote a column in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette 
that essentially said that Martavis Bryant needs to go up man-to-man, face-to-face, and apologize to Juju Smith-Schuster. I agree with that. And when you're out there on social media and say, he's nowhere near as good as I am, that's your teammate, for goodness sakes. All right? It's your teammate. Get into a Twitter war fight with fans. I remember back in the spring during the draft, remember he was on social media on Twitter, you know, kind of kind of nixing the second round draft pick with Smith Schuster and he was kind of saying, oh, he's not my replacement. He's Sammy Coates' replacement. I guess he was right about that since Sammy's no longer on the team, but still. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Okay? No, it doesn't. They're, they're, they're both there. Use it to your advantage, for example. If, you know, it's going to allow you to get single coverage all over the place. If you've got guys like Brown and Smith-Schuster out there, use it to your advantage. But Yeah, he addressed the media today. He goes, I'm a great teammate. I don't have a beef with anybody in here. I love everybody in here. I work hard with everybody. I'm trying to get better with everybody. As far as having a beef in the locker room, I've never been that type of player. And Cookie brought this up in his column today in the Post-Gazette. It's like we're dealing with two different people. As soon as he leaves that facility and he's hanging around his agent or his girlfriend, it's like he becomes a completely different person, that everything just centers around him. Well, except for the Seattle game two years ago, when does any of this oh, – I, mean, I guess a playoff game with uh, Cincinnati, right? Those two games are the two games I remember with him. I remember a lot of other plays made by a lot of other guys. There's one ball. You got Le'Veon Bell. You've got Antonio Brown. You got Jesse James. You got Juju Smith Schuster. You got one ball. Is he a is he an, uh, a a major league talent? Yeah, he's a major league talent. But he doesn't have the the same. Uh, level of common sense out in the field as Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell do, or even Juju Smith-Schuster. Okay? This is a guy that should be thankful he's still in the league. He was out of the league all last year. He should be thankful he's back. He should be thankful he's getting his $615,000 a year. There is not. There's no, there's no common man out there that can relate to this. By the way, there's another story that's uh, surrounded another Steelers player, uh, wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. He does not have a driver's license. He rides his bike to the practice oh, facility yeah. from his apartment. His bike right. got stolen yesterday morning. He gets out of his apartment, so he had to walk to and from the practice facility yesterday. And right. all the outlets in Pittsburgh just getting the word out. Uh Let's find Juju's bike. Well, it turns out it, it, it turned up this morning, and and uh, someone as the person that sold it, the person that stole it, uh, allegedly was trying to sell it to someone else. That person bought it for two hundred dollars and immediately turned it in and realized, wait a minute, this is Juju's bike. <laughs> and even All Antonio right. Brown last night posted, "Hey, whoever turns in Juju's bike, I'll hook him up with two tickets to a future home game." So it's just, he's just such a beloved. Guy, and he's hasn't even been in there for a year. I mean, he's like uh, Mike Tomlin's. He's kind of like uh, 
Yeah, Tomlin's like a father figure to him. Yeah, and it's just it's just a complete one eighty with what's been going on with Brian. Well, my only contact around Juju obviously was the Rose Bowl, and you could tell that his teammates thought the world of him. And Juju had a really—I think he had nine catches in the game, and great, uh, great balance, excellent hands, good route runner. You know, I mean, who's a better athlete out there? Well, uh, I mean, Chris Hogan's a lacrosse player. But Chris Hogan or Martavis Bryant? Now, which one of the two would you want? I'd want Chris Hogan. Sorry. It's the way it goes. Don't really care about your straight line speed or anything like that. I want dependability over there. Dependability is a big part of the National Football League. What part of Martavis Bryant's game is dependable? Well, I remember you said this earlier this year, not just in football, but in sports. I mean, quote-unquote, dependability wins every time. Every time. You know, they, yeah, every time they throw somebody out there, the coaches and managers don't want to roll the dice. The A.J. Hinch is starting Justin Verlander tonight. Guess what? He's got a track record of, quote, dependability, especially in big moments. You're going to be a little more relaxed in the Houston dugout tonight with him out there. Dependability. That's how you get, that's how you play. Who makes fewer, who's a good athlete that makes fewer mistakes? Steelers have the Detroit Lions on Sunday night football at 8.30. Gee, if they win without Martavis Bryant, what does that tell you? No Bryant, no problem. Exactly. They made it to the AFC Championship game last year without him. Shouldn't that send a message? I like Brian's confidence, but he's not the second coming of Jerry Rice. We'll come back tomorrow. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.